TED Audio Collective. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work no matter what industry or department you work in. Now your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. No matter what it is, that competition is so ceaseless and punishing to a certain degree, but it's also the thing that kind of, again, keeps us moving. Maybe, maybe the glue is that the sort of person who's a good pentagram partner is one who's capable of feeling like shit on a regular basis. (laughs) (laughs) From the TED Audio Collective, this is Design Matters with Debbie Millman. For 18 years, Debbie Millman has been talking with designers and other creative people about what they do, how they got to be who they are, and what they're thinking about and working on. On this episode, Debbie talks shop with three partners at Pentagram, the story design firm. I think that going in, but then once I start, I sort of, I can't. That's the problem, you cared. Yeah, and that's... (laughs) This interview took place at the How Design Live conference in Nashville on June 6, 2023. On Monday, June 12, 1972, architect Theo Crosby, graphic designers Alan Fletcher, Colin Forbes, and Mervyn Kurlansky, and industrial designer Kenneth Grange, founded the firm Pentagram. All five founding partners were leaders in their field with a successful practice, But they all believed that they could do better work as a group together in a larger setting. They established a really unique non-hierarchical structure that preserved the autonomy of each of the partners while also encouraging collaboration and a sharing of resources. From the moment the partners of Pentagram opened their doors nearly 51 years ago, the firm was successful. In the five decades since, Pentagram has displayed an unprecedented and rather enviable longevity. With offices now in New York, in Austin, in London, and Berlin, the partnership has renewed itself over and over, over the years. Half a century later, 
They are the largest independent design firm in the world, wholly owned by the 23 partners. And today here, I'm using the term design firm very, very specifically, as each of the partners of Pentagram have always been working designers. Pentagram actually restricts its ownership to only graphic designers or to only designers. And I think that I can confidently say that Pentagram is only bringing on as partners the most exceptional designers in the world. If I were to go back in time to 1972 and survey the design scene on this planet, the only design firm still operating at the highest levels today with the same operating principles is Pentagram. In the book that they've just published, surveying all of the partner's work, every partner that has ever worked at Pentagram is featured in this book, and you can see it right here on this night on this little side table. You would be able to see that the work has always been at the highest possible level. Adrian Shaughnessy, who helped bring this book to life, poses this question in the preface. So how does a design group retain relevancy? In truth, very few manage this beyond a decade or two before being acquired by a larger group, or as Colin Forbes noted, disappearing with the departure of the founders. For most others, it is a slow descent into irrelevancy and eventually closure. Pentagram, by contrast, a full half century after its inception, is still with us. And they're more relevant than ever before. The three partners that are here with us today, Paula Scher, Emily Oberman, and Michael Beirut, are still doing some of the best work of their career, whether it's Paula's global Shake Shack identity or her city logo, Emily's titles for Saturday Night Live, or her redesign of Amazon Prime Video, or Michael's work for the New York Jets or Yale University. The partners of Pentagram have not only designed some of the most ubiquitous graphic design on the planet, they have literally raised the standards of all designers everywhere. And today, for the first time ever, I'm getting goosebumps, Paula Scher, Michael Beirut, and Emily Oberman are here together on the How Design Live main stage to talk about a legacy 50 years long and their brand new two-volume book, Pentagram, Living by Design. So please join me for this historic moment in welcoming Emily Oberman, Michael Beirut, and Paula Scher to the stage for this very, very special live episode of Design Matters and How Design Live. We have 34 minutes and seven seconds and counting down, so I'm going to just launch right in. First question. This is both for Michael and Paula. You've both been at Pentagram for over 30 years each. What's kept you there so long? Paula? Yeah. <laughs> They're polite, that's why. They like each other. <laughs> um, when I joined in, I joined six months before Paula, so I've been there just a little bit longer than Paula, though we both agreed at the same time to, uh, to join the partnership. Um, and when I joined, 
you know, I'm apologizing. We were the two newest partners. And it was the, 1990, I believe, right? 1990, yeah. 90, 90, 91, 91 for you, Paula. Paula. No, I, was, for you. I was in April. He was in uh, November. November. I was November 1990. Paula was 91. This is how we're going to kill, waste all the time. <laughs> talking, talking November 1990. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I was... Just speaking for myself, I was like the newest partner there. I felt very young. I felt like I didn't know anything. And we were surrounded by the five founders who you named were all still active then. Colin Forbes was running that office. I was asked to join by Woody Pirtle, who was one of my heroes. And, um, you know, you try, I, you try to keep your head low and not get in trouble. And then at about the time you get a little restless, something changes. And what happened was Paul, uh, uh, Paula joined and was a mentor to me to a certain degree. Colin Forbes retired, and suddenly then the remaining partners had to scramble and figure out if we could run this thing without um, a father figure there, and Colin definitely was that. And then in the subsequent years, people like Emily joined, Eddie Opara, Natasha Jen, Matt Willey, Georgia Lupe, Luke Heyman, um, Abbott Miller. Another way to kill a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> just name a bunch of people. Name a bunch of people. Uh, but but like, so, so Pentagram has like changed. Uh, one thing that's documented in the book is that Pentagram has continuously changed over that period of time. It hasn't become just more like itself, but it really does get transformed. It's a very different firm now than it was 30 years ago. And what keeps me there, at least, is being able to partake of that reinvigoration of almost like working someplace new without having to put my stuff in a box and carry it somewhere else. Paula, what about you? Well, what was interesting uh, at the time, I had already had a business that I closed down and I, I joined Pentagram uh, and Michael and I were asked actually the same year by Woody and I was scared about closing down my business. On the other hand, I was a woman in a sole practice and I realized that if I joined this group, even though they were all men, I probably would be able to change and um, increase the visibility and the fees of the kind of work I was doing, which absolutely came true. And it was really interesting in the New York office because these offices have different personalities. It's not one pentagram fits all. And each generation has its own personality. And what happens is you go into a situation in our situation, it was actually a crappy office, and we moved to a better building when Jim Bieber joined and actually found a wonderful piece of real estate that we bought. And during those, that period, I felt the business really grew, the kind of work we got really grew, and the core people that joined, and after me and Michael was Jim Bieber and uh, Abbott Miller, and then ultimately Emily and Natasha and Eddie, and you could feel the place grow and become more powerful with each, with each partner. And in the London office, the, the actual opposite was going on. As New York was growing, they had lost their older partners and they had to start over again. And now you can feel the sort of the energy in London, very similar to how New York moves. So I think these things are generational and it's interesting to watch them grow and then watch them change. They can't stay the same, but they can always have the same values. Emily, you've been at Pentagram now for over 10 years. Last year, when you won the AIGA Lifetime Achievement Medal, you talked about how you've had three chapters in your career. First at M & Company with Tibor and Myra Kalman, then as one of two partners with Bonnie Siegler at number 17. Before going to Pentagram, you told me your fantasy was to have your third chapter at Pentagram. 
and you achieve that. Why Pentagram as opposed to any other firm or going out on your own or staying in, a, in the partnership you had then? Because they asked. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. Um, well, there's, I mean, there is truth to that. I, yeah, mean, I sort of yeah, feel of like if, you know, the, the Yankees ask you to join, you're sort of an idiot for not saying, well, I don't think you're an idiot. That's not true. I felt like I had to give it a try. At the time, Bonnie and I knew, Bonnie and I were, had decided to stop number 17. After 17 years. After which 17 was, years, I guess we the were intent. like, well, that's, that was the reason we named it that. So we had decided to stop, and I wasn't sure about what my next chapter was. I had always been a huge, a huge, obviously, admirer of Pentagram, and they asked, and I needed... I loved the idea of this challenge, of sort of taking on this thing that I didn't know whether I could do. I was, I was a mother of two-year-old twins. My husband thought I was insane to do it, but I sort of had to do that. And I knew that by putting myself in a situation with all of these incredible, talented, kind people, I would be better for it. My work would be better for it. And that I could, like Paula said, I could suddenly be a woman with a practice. I mean, having a, having a studio with Bonnie where we were a woman-owned business was really amazing, but I knew that I could be in a position where I could do bigger, better, stronger projects and have a bigger voice and that my work would get better just by osmosis by being around people whose sole drive is to make the work as good as possible, would make me a better designer, a better thinker. And there's just this like, like the zeitgeist of doing great work is just what drives the office all the time. And I, I sort of, I, I said this earlier, I remember Bonnie saying, but why do you want to go to an office <coughs> where your partners aren't people that you chose from the beginning that aren't your friends. And I said, because the work is, the work is amazing and the, the drive is amazing. And 10 years later, they are all my friends. And, and the thing that drives all the partners is what makes all of us better collectively. We're always there to help each other, whether it's by sharing projects or supporting each other through ups and downs in the work. It's just incredible how strong the bond is between all 23 of us. In your remarkable new monograph, Adrian Shaughnessy also writes that Pentagram has lasted as long as it has because of its unique partner-owned business model and a ferocious commitment to creative excellence. For many, many years, the sort of business model at Pentagram was this sort of mythic, secretive, it felt like a really secretive thing. I know Armin Vitt has written about this quite a bit. <laughs> um, can you talk about the partner-owned business model and, and what that actually is and what it means? What's fantastic about it is that Colin Forbes designed a brilliant system, and the system is based on two principles, generosity and responsibility. The notion of responsibility matters because if you make a mess, you're making bad things for your partners, but your partners have to be generous enough to understand that sometimes you make a mess. 
So there's the balance of those two things. It has to do with money, sharing, accepting responsibility, and, and being part of a group. You're not really out on your own. Yet, you get to be your own person as a designer as well as share, and that these things generally work together very well. And when a person can't adapt to the system or something is really wrong in it, it usually comes down to the business of generosity or um, responsibility, almost in every instance. You can see it wear down that way. So Colin Forms had it right. And, and I think the um, sort of the thing that people really can't believe is that um, sometimes a client will get curious about how we're organized and they'll say, well, are you, they'll ask me, and I'm sure they may have asked you, are you the, are you the head of Pentagram? You know, are you the, and I said, no, Pentagram doesn't have a head. There's no CEO, there's no managing director. Each one of the partners is, sort of represents the highest level of the firm. So it's got 23 co-managers, basically. And everything that's decided is decided by consensus. Any new partner that joins has to be unanimously elected by all the partners, even if it's a partner joining in New York. The partners in Austin and Berlin and London have to be in unanimous agreement about it. And again, it's, it's based on that. I, even though I, I think Bonnie's question was a valid one, these people aren't friends. And I'm not even sure. And she didn't mean it maliciously. Yeah. No, no. And I'm not even sure the original five guys were quote unquote friends. They were colleagues. They respected each other. They got mad at each other. They fought with each other. But they sort of had this great creative tension that was based on the idea that when we decide, we'll decide these things together, right? And I think there's just something um, so counterintuitive about that. And it's created this sort of funny. Um, it's not even stability, but it's sort of this, like it keeps everything in this state of tension that gives us enough energy to go forward, but enough to also kind of bind it together at the same time. So there's 23 designers, all have their individual P&L yep. with an overhead. Do you, do you see like each other's numbers? Yes. Oh my God, yes. that's terrifying. It's Once a month. So you <laughs> actually see- Every month. The, a ranking? Mm -hmm. Oh Every my month. God. Okay, so that's what keeps you all like striving. You yes, all want yes. to impress each other. Yes, yes. Yeah. we're scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> but the, this is remarkable. I hope everybody is taking notes. No. So, the no, funny if, thing if, is, the funny thing is, you're never looking at anyone's number and thinking, why aren't you doing better? You're only thinking about right, yourself. Like, of course. you're never, and if someone's numbers are lower, you never, you never are, you, you, if it's you, you feel terrible, but no one else is judging you for it. Yeah. Everyone else is just thinking, if you ask, how can I help you? And, and if your numbers are good, you look at Instagram and think, God damn it, why isn't my work as good as Paul's or Emily's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, so, and so it's like, no matter what it is, that competition is so ceaseless and punishing to a certain degree, but it's also the thing that kind of, again, keeps us moving. Maybe, maybe the glue is that the sort of person who's a good pentagram partner is one who's capable of feeling like shit on a regular basis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> really I see a lot of people wanting like, to raise their hands at this new, new possibility. It's like a mutually abusive relationship. I, I mean, for the first seven years that I was at pentagram, I would go home and be like, <sighs> Every night, just to sort of catch my breath from the, like, stress and, like, 
worry, but also then I would get to look at the work, not the, the work that I was doing that I felt was getting better, but the work, you walk through the office and you see on the computers and on the debt, like everybody's work and it's just like, wow, what? It's, it's very, it's very um, inspiring. So it's interesting that you say seven years, because buried in the book, I saw a line that said it takes about seven years for each of the Pentagram partners to sort of find their footing. So I have a couple of questions around that seven years. Why seven years? Why, how do you make it through those seven years? That takes an enormous amount of resilience. I think that seven years is, a, is some kind of life cycle. Um, that where I know <clears throat> I was sitting next to Eddie O'Para for his first seven years. And I ta- he, he said to me, how long is this going to take? I really don't, you know, he wasn't, didn't feel like he got fit into the situation. He didn't understand why things were a certain way. That's this way or the other way. And I, sa- I would say it takes seven years. <laughs> and then another two years would go by and I'd have the same conversation with him. And then one day he said, it's been seven years. I feel good. <laughs> I mean, there's something... It's something about adapting to the to responsibility and the expectation and feeling feeling the kind of support that's really there for you in the structure because it's not just individuals being nice to you. There's an inherent thing within the way the business was designed to be fair. I mean, Colin at one point had got, it, devi- it had designed a financial system that he based on figuring out who who had the most milk in the refrigerator. So that, <laughs> that, I'm not kidding, he had told me this philosophy, that that's how the financial structure was designed. So you made sure that if somebody was using more milk, they paid a little more for the milk. And so you know, the other ones would yeah. resent them. And that was the analogy of it, of how sort of the, the model works, because there's a way of calculating people's overheads that are based on what they're using <laughs> and what they're doing and the size of their team, et cetera. And that's part of what the fairness is. And how do you figure it out now that we have Soy milk, oat milk, <laughs> regular. Uh, Debbie, you may or may not get to this, but it's not, it's, we've been there um, collectively, what? Uh, uh, 30, 60, 30, 70 years. 70 years, collectively. Holy cow. And, um, but um, uh, there, there have been partners who have joined for a year, two yeah, years. Peter and, Saville, April and, Griman. Yeah, and and, and uh, it wasn't for them, and they kind of bailed out. So it's... Uh, it's, it is, I'm not sure if it's like capacity for feeling shitty or, <laughs> it's this weird thing where you have to be independent enough to make it work, but for some reason, in spite of that, feel like you're getting a benefit from being part of a larger group. And the people that have those two kind of contradictory urges, there just aren't that many of them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think it's, it's really about something, you know, that, I've always felt that the goal of Pentagram was, was to confound the expectations of being a designer, that you, you could do really good, important, sometimes groundbreaking work and still make money, and that you could, you could balance the financial and the, the qualitative in a way that the design industry is not successful at providing, and that was always the difference. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. 
Now your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You know, Adrian poses a question in the book that he hopes becomes answered in the pages of the book through the work. But I do want to ask you all this question. Given your success, why don't more design firms adopt your system? Why don't more of you adopt this system? I mean, come on now. This is working. I've sort of always wondered that I also just want to say, another reason I joined Pentagram is I could not face the idea of figuring out how to lease a copier. (laughs) No, it's true. But that's also part, you know, it's funny. I I think part of it is that um, it sort of, it happened organically at the beginning. And then the generosity and vision of those original people back in the 70s created a structure into which everyone sort of submits themselves, and it's, it's very, it's like, I mean, I remember, we keep talking about Colin Forbes, who is sort of the guy who sort of designed the whole thing in his head and sort of was the de facto sort of first among equals of the original five guys, at least in terms of administrative work. I think people would say, you know, Alan Fletcher was the famous designer and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but Colin had really worked it out. And I remember one time he said, I'm amazed you guys are so eager to follow the rules. They're just rules that we made up. You know, and like, but like, you but that, know. I think this, this is the, the answer to the question in that the reason I think Pentagram lasted so long is that nobody who has been here for the longest periods of times were actually founders. The founders, I was there, first of all, there was Bob Gill, there was a business called Fletcher Forbes Gill, and they were going to all share equally and they were going to follow the plan, except for Bob Gill didn't want to share equally and yeah. he left. And then there was Crosby, Fletcher, Forbes. And then there was, then there was uh, uh, Crosby, Fletcher, Forbes, Grange. And then it became Pentagram because Mervyn Kurlansky was, le- was left out of the mix. And then all those guys, by the time we joined, they were, they were, they were already mostly gone. Um, I think <laughs> Kenneth Grange hung around. So the Pentagram kind of wasn't working. If there hadn't been a whole new crew, there <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be a Pentagram. That's yeah. actually I the mean, truth. And it's true. It takes a really long time for us to find a new part. Like, because you have to have a certain kind of personality. You have to be just sort of weird enough to want to join this. It's really, someone said this this morning, we are like the island of misfit toys. Like, we're not really all normal people. I don't know that that's how I would describe you. <laughs> but we're but not. Like, I'll, we are I'll, I'll a accept very, it. <laughs> but we are a very quirky bunch. We're not like, 
We're not like an agency. We're not like Wolf Olin's. We're not, we're not. We're a very specific, like it's weird to have 23 partners. It's a very, it's why we've never been acquired. It's why we can't be acquired. We're very, I, I don't know. It's very unusual. It's a very unusual thing. And we're all very specific individual people who are very different, but all happen to sort of believe in the same thing. Believe of, in the same principles about the work. One of the highest, hardest, most challenging positions to fill in any firm, in any agency, is a senior position. And the odds of a senior person working out in an established firm are actually about as good as any new product coming to market. Given that your ownership strategy has now entered its fourth generation, how do you determine what new partners to bring in and what is that process like? It's getting, it's getting difficult. Um, and I think <clears throat> some of it has to do with the, the, um, the choices are pe people are making in terms of their own careers. Um, from my point of view, particularly with women, I see less women in independent design firms and more of them getting powerful positions in, say, advertising agencies. So that makes them not interested in Pentagram because in Pentagram they have to, they have to run a team and manage money like a design firm. So it depends upon how you want to play in, in business and in work. And um, I'm not quite sure what made that difference. It seemed like there was more availability of people who wanted to be independent and would have liked the, the group maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And the emergence, of, there's a lot of talent around, but they seem to be employed otherwise. And there's a lot of talented people who are well-placed in good positions within corporations, working in-house like so many people here do. And, um, and then I also, I also have thought for a long time that the basic, there's something kind of, basic premise in 1972 was that, you know, five people could save a lot of money by sharing the same Xerox machine and like splitting the rent five yeah. ways. And in a day where you needed an office and you needed a Xerox machine and you needed all these things, you know, we compete with people who, um, who you know, who are our students at, at SVA or Yale or whatever, three years ago, have a virtual office where it's just three laptops. Someone can be in Chicago, someone can be in uh, New York, someone can be in uh, Berlin. And um, they'll submit a proposal for a project we're submitting to, to as well. And we have, a, we have rent to pay. We have all this stuff that we think is important to have as an office. And we're competing with people who have like no overhead, basically. And I think someone who's sort of, one of the propositions is, come on in and by the way, you know, take a look at this beautiful office and there's overhead associated with it and everything else. And I think that was non-negotiable back then. Now people have so many different options in terms of how they can work, you know? Not only that, there was a slew, my husband among them, of people who had design businesses and thought that they, were, they had big reputations and they thought they would retire and sell their drawing tables and be rich into old age, you know, and that was not too wise. <laughs> and Panagram, um, <clears throat> another thing, a Colin Forbes moment was he set up the notion of buying shares where everybody owned the company and the company would accrue value. And 
Yet now, somebody can start a small business, be very successful as an individual designer, and get bought out and even have more security than we have. Yeah. So, it, you know, things change in time, and you don't know where it shakes out. But I think the ethic about the work is really the binding thing. Now, given that there are 23 people weighing in on any particular candidate, how often do you fight about who should come in or if, is, if, if, is a veto enough for somebody yeah. to say, no, don't want them? Yeah, it's, it's acknowledged as a, a principle that if a single partner is against someone, they can just veto it. And if they feel strongly about it, there's no discussion. You'd have to be kind of... Um, an asshole to just like do it like that and I don't think any of these three people are really that jerky although these three people no any any of the 23 people are there well I, sometimes sometimes if you think everyone else is you know <laughs> yeah, that means you're the, that you means said, you're the asshole you right so, these, yeah. you said these three no no but I don't but I don't think any of the people um you know no one no one wants to be the one person to be a jerk about something but, in theory, but it has happened it, it, it has, has happened. definitely yeah, happened. happened yeah and uh, without and, and usually what that person is doing is having the is having the the nerve to kind of voice something that's actually an elephant in the room that's a concern that's more widely shared, which you which only happens when you're really committed to the idea of talking things through and reaching a consensus. I remember someone said, "Well, maybe we should just vote on these things," and then someone said, "Do you really want to invite someone in knowing that there were four people that voted against them and 19 people for?" It just seemed like not right, you know. I mean, it just and and I think that was true, and so um, uh, I think anything we most of the things we decide about there are and you you can correct these numbers if you want. There are like five people who really are in favor of it. Um, Five or so people who think it's like not the greatest idea. One person, two, two people who might be sort of against it, but not going to really what? No, just nothing. No, not talking about anyone joining. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying no, this isn't about someone joining. This is about like what the Christmas card should look like or something. Oh, you know, okay. low stakes thing. You know, so five people are really into it. Two people are kind of against it, but decide they're not going to waste their time. They're not going to waste their political capital on this one. Five other people sort of, you know. Don't um, care. Yeah, okay. And the other ones are like, what are we talking? What's it? What, the other what ones are, we are checking their email. <laughs> and the other one else is just checking their email waiting to talk and about something the, more and interesting. And then at the next meeting, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> who, who approved this? I don't agree with yeah, that. Exactly. But it's you, just like, just like you're all, you all have families. You all go to Thanksgiving dinners and stuff. It's not that unlike that. You, you talked about competing with the SVA student with three laptops. Yeah. Pentagram works for giant corporations, startups, arts and educational institutions, <clears throat> entertainment properties, sports teams, publishing houses, and even candidates for president of the United States. You also do quite a lot of pro bono work. Do you still have to pitch a lot of work, or does the work just sort of come through the door? Do you, what do you mean? Define the word pitch. Um, Somebody calls up and says, hey, Paula, we want you to design the new Westinghouse logo. Um, would you be interested in coming in and showing us your thoughts or your approach or your portfolio? We're also going to be looking at Landor and Fitch and Wolf Olins. Sure, we do that all the time. Not the show us your, we don't. You don't do spec work. Spec. No. Yeah, I no, mean, just no, sort of thoughts about a project. Yes, about showing your work, of course. Yeah. I mean, 
It doesn't yeah, no, just we, slide in and, and you do it, and isn't that wonderful? You would think it's that perfect. it would, right, after 50 years? No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, 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 it listen. Did. People, I mean, yes. correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Paula and Emily, but people come in and sometimes they express awe and admiration about Pentagram, and after about 15 minutes, they turn into whatever kind of client they were going to be anyway, and they start, <laughs> like, being, you know, they start, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter at all, you know? Yeah. Nope. No, sometimes it hurts. Doesn't, sometimes it hurts? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. In, what way, in what way does it hurt? <laughs> well, gee, you know, you really have a lot of experience in this area, and we were very impressed with your, with your wonderful body of work, but we think we're going to go with another firm because we think we might get something new. <gasps> For shout. Yeah. <laughs> when the work comes in through the transom, somebody's answering the telephone, hi, we have a project we'd like one of the Pentagram partners to do. Who decides? Work never, rarely comes in that way, actually. Oh, it just comes directly well, to the partners? Tons of work comes in that way. Tons of good work doesn't necessarily oh, come okay. in that way. <laughs> <laughs> but there's usually someone who says, well, what made you call? And then depending on what they said, it then goes to, the, like, if they say oh, it was because we saw the public theater work or because we saw MIT, then it will go to Paula or Michael, or if it's because we just saw the prime video redesign, then it would go to me. Like, it's sort of, there's a a filter that works that way. Or if it's not anything, it's sort of like, who needs work? Yeah. And then... (laughs) Those are, I have to say, that's really... That, that isn't very much of it. Most of the work is what Emily was just describing. Yeah. And that's actually specified work. Yeah, that is, yeah, still, yeah. That is still because of what you've done. done. Yeah. Uh, it's I the mean, way it should come in. And then sometimes I think people just call up because they kind of want to know, like, what a pentagram proposal would look like. And often those are people who also, I didn't really put together an RFP, so, like... And so the, what do you do in those situations? Sometimes you... Decline if it's really kind of lame. Sometimes, if it's a really a project you really want to do, you just go for it. Yeah, and each partner ends up being pretty much responsible for generating their own work and kind of leading the you know the the pitch meetings if we're having conversations. How do you so. go about if you have to then if or if any of the partners have to? How do you go about looking for new work? What is your new business development process like? <laughs> ah. Aha. <laughs> well, um, sometimes, sometimes you do make something out of a job. Like you brought up the Westinghouse logo. The call wasn't for a redesign of the Westinghouse logo. The call was from a guy who worked inside Westinghouse who wanted a standards manual based on a font he was already using for Westinghouse that looked crummy. And he needed, he needed something to give to the licensees. And I said, why are you doing that? Paul Rand already designed this. Why don't you just use his? You know, and they owned it. But that wasn't the job. The job was this other job. And sometimes you just take the call, and if you have absolutely no interest in the job, you tend to get it because you, can, you, you have the courage to tell them exactly what they should do. And if they, if they, if they jump on it, then you, then you get the project, which is sort of great. How often do you have that courage? I kind of get the sense, Paula, that you have it all the time. No. <laughs> no, I'm intimidated by things. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I'm intimidated by uh, big-time competition and uh, very complicated proposal writing. Um, and I like it better when I, I, I can get the feeling of a client 
and have them begin to develop a relationship with me on the phone. If I can do that, I can do the job. But I, I really don't like the sort of big agency competition thing. Can't, I can't say, I've, you know what I've never won? A paid pitch. You've never won a paid pitch. Pay, like even when they pay, you know, they're like, okay, this is a pitch, but we're gonna pay you. I still can't, No. like I hate paid pitches. Why do you even. think that is? Why do you think that I that is? I don't know, there's just something about that like, you know what, just we're, every agency that you're talking to or every design firm that you're talking to, I'm sure we're all qualified. Meet the people, talk to them, get a good feeling from them, and choose someone. Don't, I can't, I can't perform under that kind of pressure. No. I, I just, I would rather you take that, whatever it is, $30,000 for the $10,000 that you're paying each firm or the, whatever it is, take that money and put it to good use for the actual job and choose someone, even if it's not me. It just seems like a better. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've never won. A, I've never won a paid pitch either. And and and. Oh my God! I wish I knew that. Do you know how many times I've turned down work because I knew that Pentagram was pitching? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, um, and I know why. I I know why I've never won. It's because I, I second guessing or no, no. You know what it is? It's sort of like I mean I think I've heard you say this too, and it's like not that it's pressure. I think it's it's meant to fire up your 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 competitive genes. But instead, I think you know every you're asking four good firms to work on this. You know, I'm sure one of us will come up with something. We have no real relationship. You've just sent everyone the same sort of, uh, you know, donkey upon which we're supposed to put on our blindfolds and figure out where we pin the tail. So someone's going to come close. Maybe it'll be me. Maybe it'll be one of these other people. Like, it's just, it just seems so random, you know? And and I I sort of need to feel, I need to, like, lay in bed thinking I am the only, you know, they're counting on me to do this thing. There is no plan B, and they're going to get mad if I don't deliver it to them. Like, if you know, they already know I might lose. That's the premise of it. You know, so if, if that's already, if they've already resigned to the idea that I'm not going to get the job, how, I mean, how much am I supposed to care about it? It's completely, it's not right, is it? But. No, but I need to feel, <laughs> I need to feel like we've begun a relationship yeah, and yeah. I can dive deep into this because deep is, I, I, I will dive deep and yeah. I will spend the, the time, the resource, the brain power. That's our, that's our superpower. Yeah. And just knowing they don't, there isn't the trust that, I don't know. No, it's just, yeah. Well, I'm more cynical about it. Because really? I, yes. <laughs> you? Yes, because I do paid pitches for the money. And I oh, don't yeah. care oh, if man, I don't sure. win. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. You make the money anyway. You just decide it's worth your hours to get that amount of money. And then you do the paid pitch and you don't give a damn. Sometimes I think that going in. <laughs> but then, then, then you me. get hooked But up. I think that going in, but then once I start, I sort of, I care. Well, that's the problem. You cared. Yeah. And that's... <laughs> And I think story of my life. <laughs> but um, but the the theme, if there is one, Debbie, is that um, it, I mean, I think having attended some of the presentations here, you sort of keep remembering that design is done by people, and and it's commissioned by people, and people are in the process. It's people all the way up and all the way down. And I think a lot of times, you know, organizations try to, like, that's the messy part, and they try to figure out a way, like, we do this without the people, you know, and just kind of, like, make it about a structure or make it about a process or make it about a plan. And I think Pentagram is sort of just so committed to the idea we're going to get people together, have them work as partners, have them work with clients, have them do the work, have them be responsible for the work, have their various opinions, cynical or not, 
about that work or idealistic or not or filled with pressure or filled with relaxation about no matter what it is. It's like the, the people are the ones doing the work and that's where it comes from. You know? I, we're out of time. I have one last question for you. Something that I didn't realize until I read the book. 50, almost 51 years with the same logo. We were talking, we were he hearing about Jell-O and how long that logo had lasted and the Pepsi logo. And, you know, we were talking about how even though nobody liked the old Pepsi logo, it still had a pretty good run. <laughs> what, any, any thoughts about ever changing your identity? Well, actually, at the last partners meeting, we were looking at a better cut of the same logo. <laughs> but I think the real reason we don't change our logo is we never agree on anything. We never have a logo. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. You got, you got 23 partners with you know, typographic opinions. How would you even begin to do that? Well, I think it's pretty beautiful the way it is. Paula Scher, Emily Oberman, Michael Beirut, thank you so much, so much. That interview took place at the How Design Live Conference in Nashville on June 6th, 2023. Design Matters is produced for the TED Audio Collective by Curtis Fox Productions. The interviews are usually recorded at the Masters in Branding program at the School of Visual Arts in New York City, the first and longest running branding program in the world. The editor-in-chief of Design Matters Media is Emily Wineland. 